0: My name is Johanna Zorn, I'm the executive director of the Third Coast International Audio Festival, and it's just so great to see all of you here today. Julie Shapiro, uh, my cohort, uh, is going to lead this session. As probably many of you know, uh, we um, had another public audio project this year to follow up 99 ways last year. Uh, We teamed up with Jonathan Messenger, who uh, is well-known about town, uh, for leading these um, events once a month called Dollar Store, where people are inspired by an item purchased from a dollar store to tell a story. So we teamed up with him, and we created dollar stories and asked people to create short audio pieces based on dollar store items. So they're going to come up here and share uh, the results of that project. So Julie Shapiro... Managing Director of the Third Coast International Audio Festival, and Jonathan Messenger from Dollar Star.
1: Johanna really actually introduced this session very well, so I don't. Thank you. We can, we're running late, so I'm gonna save some time and not talk too much about the project, but I will look at my notes. Okay. So we're going to present the dollar stories. It was a public audio project that we teamed up with Jonathan Messenger here. um, And teamed up is kind of accurate. We really borrowed his idea and collaborated and got the word out throughout Chicago and all over the world to invite people, as Johanna said, to be inspired by sort of random objects purchased at a dollar store. Um, And it was this dollar store, in fact, Dollar Days, which is... Jonathan's secret arsenal weapon of dollar store goodness, where he's often inspired. Um a little bit about Jonathan. He's the books editor at Time Out Chicago. He's a writer himself. He founded a self he's founded a press featherproof books and he started the dollar store show. How long has it been
2: going? Uh, actually tonight is our third anniversary. Wow. So, Happy thanks. birthday. Thanks.
1: Um so and um, so, he's been doing this where people come out and hear vo- verbal stories inspired by these items. We decided to bring the audio twist to it and ask people to create short, under three minute audio stories inspired by one of three objects a four pack of wooden mousetraps. I actually have the, the actual items here, they exist. <laughs> and we can maybe offer them to the highest bidder after the conference. You know, we have to <laughs> raise money for the festival as, as, as we can. Um, a metal bike jingle bell, and this um, bizarre thing, mug. Can you read it? It says, well-behaved women rarely make history. So these were the, the starting points, and what we hoped to do was give people a place to start and from there spread their audio wings and make some stories. And from the get-go, the goal of the project is twofold. It's to encourage people who've never picked up a microphone um, to, give it a, to give it a go, give them a reason to try to make something. Uh, it's also meant to give people who've been in, in the radio industry or uh, producers for a long time the chance to play a little bit and try something different and um, maybe take a break from the daily grind and exercise some of their creative muscles. So happily we got all of that, absolutely. We got 82 submissions this year from like nine different countries. And um, it was really great to see the mix of people definitely starting for the first time, even just reading a story they wrote, figured out how to send me an MP3 after 10 tries and you know we got them posted. So when you can listen to all of them on the website, just keep that in mind. These are some people that just heard a promo on Chicago Public Radio and decided to give it a go. Um, so do you wanna actually explain to us a little bit about how the dollar store show started and a little bit about your idea about why this could result in creative energies and stories.
2: Uh, sure. So, like I said, I started about three years ago when I was, I'll charitably put it, underemployed at the time. And um, so I was looking for something like a new creative project to do. And um, in Chicago, there's such a great mixture. Like, there's a lot of improv comedy that, that happens, um, a lot of theater, obviously. and all these sorts of things that I was always going to, and I was going to a lot of readings, and I was, um, I was finding myself just as entertained at, at readings, literary readings, as I was at any improv show or play that I went to. And so I wanted to try to create a show that, that combined all of those elements and sort of contextualized literary readings as a form of entertainment as well. and um, But I wanted to do it in a way that sounded much less pretentious than what I just said. And uh, so I figured that... You know, I, I have, as I've said before, a really unironic love for dollar stores. This dollar Days is right around the corner from my work, and it's my little respite that I go to. And um, so, I, I uh, you know, I, I wanted to do something that it didn't really. It would take the 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 artist, the writer, or playwright, or wh- whomever was performing. They couldn't take themselves too seriously when they were doing it. You know, presented them with this thing that. Uh, you know, is basically a piece of junk and saying, uh, make something uh, great out of this. And so there's a a nice challenge in that as well, is looking at something that uh, probably no one would ever bother trying to find inspiration in and and finding that inspiration in there.
1: Jonathan coined this great term that we've been using all year, (laughs) evocative crap. Anyways, it was just like, that's
2: exactly what it is.
1: So, uh, thank you for sure, helping sure. us talk about it. It's been a real pleasure to see this project reach out to writers and people outside of radio and again pull them in, so. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did, so we put out the call and all summer, well actually not all summer, right at the end a bunch came in and uh, we picked four of them to present as the 2007 Festival Short Docs and the producers of those are with me on stage. We're going to hear all of their pieces over the course of the next hour. We're also going to play... I'm going to start off with a couple other ones that we also really loved, and um, the producers are in the room. So without further ado, let's get listening to something. Um, The first piece is called I've Got a Question for You, and it's produced by Zach Rosen from Michigan, who's right over there.
3: Hi um hello yeah mm. hello? hello no um hello? hi this ma'am. is this is hi. zach i was i was hello? wondering if i could ask you a uh, few zach. random questions uh, I, I have a few well questions. i you know what hi. Uh, hello? Uh,
4: How i you? i don't know what kind of questions hello? you're going to ask hi. me oh. and, I, and i i so i i i can't answer uh, questions hello. to people I don't know. Um, that that's. Thank you. Nice.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. This okay. Is, this is Zach. I'm I'm working on this this audio Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Uh huh. Yeah. How's it going? Uh, hello. All right. I was wondering if is you, you have any thoughts um hello. about mouse traps Hi. in the home. Who? Mouse traps. Can you, can you, like oh. setting mouse traps for little is fuzzy anyone, mice. Is there? Who are you? Hi. Uh, my name's Zach. Are you there?
4: And you just decide to Hi. call and ask me that?
3: Yeah, I, I I dialed a random so number in the phone I'm book, on and um, I'm am just calling hello? people that I don't know and asking them what to really think about, um, so to they think about mouse traps. <laughs> Why
4: would you ask people for that? So um, oh, you make them?
3: I'm, I'm them? I'm not making a mouse trap. I'm I'm, I I I'm trying to maybe to do something question. that has to do with the mouse hello? traps. Oh, Oh, wait. Yes. Hi, um, um, I am not a solicitor, I just yes, have, um, uh, basically I'm trying to come up with ideas okay, about um, things having to do with bike bells, sh- Sure. and um, I'm just wondering if you have okay, any yeah, ideas or thoughts oh, about good. that, um, you can freely associate, thank or any, any, really anything that comes thank to mind when you me. think of bike bells. Thank you. Oh uh, Hi, hello? Hi, uh, not, Yes. Not hello? at
4: the moment, I yeah. can't. Mm-hmm. I... Yeah. No, not Hello, not now.
3: <laughs> what about ideas? mouse traps? Oh, uh, what? Mouse traps. Oh. Just close your eyes and think about mouse sure, traps. Oh.
4: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I just can't. I just can't think of anything. I'm an old woman.
3: <laughs> you don't sound old.
4: Maybe if you want to call me back sometime.
3: Okay, when should I call back? Huh? Hello? When would be a, a better hi. time?
4: How long do you have to get um, this I, I are you?
3: I um I only have uh until Friday. Hi. Hello? Oh. Ma'am? Hey, how are you? Oh yeah. Hello?
4: you know what? Hi. I really can't think of anything. So how was your day? But I do wish you all the love.
3: Oh, thank you. You've um, been you've been very sweet. Hi. I really appreciate it. This is this is
2: uh oh, this this
5: audio.
3: So so have a have a great nice night, okay? Thank yeah. you, you too. Uh, Thanks. Bye bye bye. Are you still there? Hello. Hi. Hello. Can you can you hear me? Um,
1: I want to ask Jonathan one more question before we hear the next one, um, and that is, how did you discern when you started this which items would really be perfect because not everything in the dollar store necessarily falls into the dollar store show
2: category um, I don't know you just when we were seeking these items out you, you sort of just realize you can just kind of intuit it they just kind of call to you but usually I like things that are either just so mundane that you would just skip over them like say the mouse traps or something like that uh, or something just so Bizarre that it could only come from a dollar store. Uh, there was one time that we had this item that I've always tried to describe and I just can't. It was called a gyro umbrella. And it was, a, it was a dollar. And it was this plastic <laughs> construction that was about this big. And you wound it and it spun around and it, it kind of like shot off these like plastic wands. See, it's completely indescribable, (laughs) but it's clearly something that I would want to write about. So, And you did? Yes. Okay.
1: Have you ever picked an item? Because Jonathan writes a story for each dollar store show as well. And have you ever been stumped? Like you picked an item you thought would inspire, but then you just couldn't go anywhere with it?
2: I have, yeah.
1: What was the I, item? I don't,
2: you know, and I don't remember what it was. But I just kind of <laughs> tossed item. it aside and went back to the dollar days.
1: So, yeah, you, can, you can do that. Yeah, but he yeah, assigns these yeah. items to people, and then they're stuck. It's, yeah, right, right.
2: Um,
1: you can do it at home. Go to a dollar store, pick an item, and, and make a story. Um, okay, well, let's, let's keep going to stay on schedule. The next piece we're going to hear is called Curve of the Earth, and it's by Stephanie R- Roden, Roden, and she's here, too. So, um... Let's hear that one,
6: please. So I must be four or five, maybe I'm six. And I go riding on my bike, and my bike has the bell. And I always push down on it. It makes its noise. It's bling, 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 bling. The town is really tiny. The roads are all dirt. What sidewalks they are are wooden. The mountains are sort of way out, like kind of like teeth on the horizon. Even as a child, you can really see the curve of the earth because there's nothing in your way, and the light's so clear. And I go everywhere. My parents let me go everywhere because nobody worries about anything. And I'm standing on my bike, and I'm pumping hard, and I'm looking down, and I'm wearing my little cowboy hat, which is made out of some kind of cheap cardboard or something with velvet on it. and It's tied under my chin because otherwise it'll get blown away because hats always blow away out there. The hat's pulling back as I'm pushing forward and the wind is blowing. I get to the main intersection in town and I go—I just go ripping right through there. I don't look. I don't look right or I don't look left because I just know the cars are going to stop for me because I'm the kid. I'm king of the mountain. I'm the kid in town. Everybody's going to stop for me, but, but one of the Rhymer boys doesn't stop. I go flying. I feel myself scraping across the dirt. Gordy Reimer comes over. Gordy was always a big guy, still a big guy. He reaches down and he picks me up, puts me in the front seat of this pickup truck and he drives me home and he carries me into my mother. And there I am. I sort of, I'm feeling like I want to be limp because I've just been hit by a car. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. No blood. Hardly any scratches. Nothing's wrong with me. That afternoon, I drive back to school, and I haven't changed a thing. My little bell just keeps ringing, and the mountains are off there to the west, sort of looking like teeth, snow-covered teeth, and the wind's blowing. And I just keep going and going and going. And that's probably, you know, the warmest memory I have of that place was being taken care of by Gordy Reimer after he hit me. <laughs> after he ran over me. He didn't run over me after he hit me and I flew. On my little red bike with my little bell.
1: I should say that the storytellers, Keith Taylor, and the musicians who made the music for the piece and worked with Stephanie are Andy Kirshner and Andrew Bishop. So, um, you know, something completely different, which really demonstrates the range and the direction that these could just go all over the place, which they did, um, as you'll find out when we now listen to the ones that were picked as the Short Talks. I want to introduce Nina Perry, David Maxson, Jeffrey Letterly, and Sean Hurley, who produced the stories we picked this year. Um, we are going to hear all four of them and sort of talk about them a little bit. We'd like, if you have any questions, we can take a couple questions per one. I encourage you to, you know, if you have questions for them, and we'll talk about them a little bit up here. So, um, let's start with David, actually, David Maxson, who is from Brooklyn and a musician. He has been to law school. He's also blogging the conference right now for transom.org, So, you can, uh, you should log on at some point and contribute to that conversation. Um, David decided in July that he wanted to get involved with audio production in the narrative sense. And he emailed Transom and said, can you help me out? And they gave him all this advice about things to do. And then he made this piece. <laughs> so it was kind of a, a quick, road to, um, being, you know, quick road from concept to delivery. And here he is to play his piece called, well, we'll play his piece called The Trap.
7: When the weather was warm, there was no problem. The mice would be out enjoying the beauty of Vermont like everybody else. But when the season turned, and temperatures began their annual free fall, they wanted in. It started with small signs, the corner of a cereal box that had been gnawed away, a brief sighting in the middle of the night when you got up to get a glass of water. Then came the scratching and chewing in the walls. But we didn't want to hurt the mice. We tried banging on the walls, sealing the food, whatever non-violent means we could think of. The house was a sieve. So after a string of restless nights, exhausted, we'd come to believe in the death penalty for urine home invasions. Heck, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA, gave an award to a guy who invented a more humane trap because it kills them with gas instead of blunt force. If PETA's okay with killing them, I can get over it. For a dollar, I picked up a four-pack of traditional mouse traps. A small piece of wood with a simple metal spring that amounts to a tiny blunt mouse guillotine. This is what is known as the spring-loaded bar mousetrap. It was apparently invented by a guy named Hiram Maxim, who also invented one of the first self-powered machine guns in the 19th century. The first night I was awoken by the clap and rattle of the wood trap jumped out of bed and a not quite dead writhing mouse was caught in the trap and mice in vermont are not the gray black-eyed monsters i remember from my native wisconsin these were deer mice brown fur coat the white patch on the breast big ears big eyes like little tiny fuzzy deer this was problematic everyone knows it's wrong to kill cute things ugly things deserve it sure ugly things would kill you if they had a chance cute things though things are innocent, and they don't know any better. Over the course of the next few weeks, each morning, I'd wake to a dead mouse or two, each one shocking in its slight variation. A clean break in the middle of the back or neck was easy to handle, but a mouse with just its snout and a single paw clamped under the cold metal bar, it was somehow perverse. I hated starting my mornings like this. I don't care what Peter thinks. I didn't like killing mice. I was happy when warm weather returned and the traps could sit underneath the sink, unset and idle. New life, warmth, and sunshine washed away the shameful necessities of the previous winter, back to killing things, like mosquitoes and ants. When the next winter rolled around, I can remember waiting longer before we turned the heat on, hoping again to deter the little buggers from even taking up residence. To no avail. They came back, worse than ever, but this time I couldn't do it, so I bought some poison. Poison was better because it was stealth. I didn't have to wake up and see their little crushed heads and hear the snap and rattle of the traps going off while I was in bed. We don't want to have to see the unsavory results of our actions. We don't televise executions or do them in the town square. Seeing something seems not only to drive reality home in our minds, it's as if, without it, there is no reality. It's like the old saying about a tree falling in the woods, and if no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? It's as if the only thing we ever object to about the results of our actions is having to perceive them. Winter turned to spring once again, and then to the heat of summer. And just as the mercury inched up into the 80s and 90s, I noticed something. A slight odor. Faint at first, then increasing, the smell of dead mice in the walls.
1: So, thanks. Um, What surprised you the most about this whole process, this being the first story that you've made? Uh,
8: That was accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, about the process yeah. of making it or the, or the process of entering it? or
1: I think just start to finish, like if, if you're taking this on and you hadn't really constructed something purposefully like this.
8: I guess with this with this piece, um, I was surprised at how hard it was to sort of keep it down to three minutes. You know, I thought I had a pretty simple idea, and, or, or a simple couple of ideas, and... Um, it was about seven minutes, and uh, you, you know, part of, part of the reason the pacing is so fast is because I was just cutting out space wherever I, <laughs> wherever I could. Um, so, yeah, that was... But I guess, uh, yeah, but beyond that, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I can't think of anything else that was surprising.
1: Well, I really hear the musician in you coming out in the rhythm. I mean, I guess it was purposeful to get as much in there, but it seems like the verbal the train that you follow is very consistent and it seems rhythmically very um, thought out and purposeful in the way you did that. So did your musical training come into?
8: Yeah, certainly, I mean, you know, I think that to me, the process of of sort of composing, some, you know, sort of a temporal composition is, there's really no distinction between a song and, and an audio documentary of this sort. Um, so yeah, I did. You know, I incorporated rhythm and and uh, even harmony in some points. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, I think. I mean, to me, it, to me, it essentially is a song. Um, you know, it might be a non-traditional song, and maybe when you when you uh, present it in the context of documentary, it's clearly a documentary. But uh, I think you know, I think this could go on a mm-hmm. musician's album yeah. if there were still albums around. <laughs>
1: And I think the, um, the thing that really struck me is it starts as this very playful kind of cheeky thing and then you really bring out some very poignant concepts and it gets heavy by the end. I mean, obviously it's about killing, so there's an overlay of heavy, but it's, it's, it's more lighthearted and then it, you say some very deep things at the end and I wondered if from the beginning you wanted to craft this, a kind of story that moved in that direction or that came out of the process of writing it.
8: I think that came out of the process of writing it. I don't. I don't think I started with with sort of an overriding uh, goal of exactly what you know what I was going mm-hmm. to do with it. When I, you know, when I was looking at the three items to choose from, I, you know, immediately looking at the mouse traps, I thought of my experience fighting mice in Vermont and. Um, uh, so. Yeah. I, I think that it's throughout the process of putting it together, it sort of, these things came out, but I, I don't think that I started, you know, with, the one thing that did come to mind immediately was, you know, sort of getting, trying to get my landlord to take care of the mice and telling him that I believed in the death penalty for, uh, for mouse coming into the home. So I guess it just sort of built from there. But no, I don't think I started with any sort of overriding uh, mm-hmm. idea of where it was going to go.
2: Great. Yeah, sure. Please. I'm curious if, if finding that you had to cut so much, actually changed the content of the story at all? Because it seems to me that you're you're bringing up a lot of questions that seem sort of philosophical that usually lends itself to a a sort of slower pace, and then with a quicker pace, it's more of a sort of frenzied question kind of.
8: Yeah. Well, I I mean, there were things that I had to cut out. There were there were things, you know, other things that I mentioned. sort of the idea of going to a dollar store looking for mouse traps, and, and sort of feeling like I was probably the first person ever to go to a dollar store looking for something specific. Um, <laughs> so, there were, yeah, there was content I had to cut out. I think the original pacing was, you know, it was similar to this. I think, you know, cutting it down ha- made the pacing faster, but I think it was always sort of a, you know, it's sort of a stream of consciousness feel. Um, you know, it's sort of a you know, rumination of sorts. So.
4: Great.
1: I have to ask all of you guys, did anyone have um, producers' item regret? Did, you, did anyone finish and think like, oh, but now I have an idea, or wished you had picked a different item? Can you stand by your choices? Uh,
5: I actually thought that mine was the best. <laughs> my, my item. Yeah. I, really, people should pick the cup. Right. <laughs> so yeah because some Our of you started with story and some right.
1: of you started with item and so it's an interesting distinction of whether you had something kind of ready to go or if the story really was the starting or the item really was the starting point
5: mm-hmm. yeah definitely the item yeah me. and not the other two yeah
8: <laughs> I like the mousetraps because the, the other two items are so uh, they are they have so much sort of character themselves that it's a little bit hard to I think it would have been more difficult to sort of um you know show up the uniqueness of the item itself especially with a mug you know it's it's a very interesting item i think it would have been a little harder personally to come up with something that's you know maybe funnier than the mug itself
2: <laughs>
4: right
2: was there a, a most popular item out of the 82
1: ah good question um no they were completely 25 i actually counted these you have to break down <laughs> Please don't do the math, because I can't guarantee. Um, yeah, the breakdown is almost exactly equal. 26 people uh, did both the bell and the mug. 25 people did the mouse traps,
9: hmm.
1: And five people were inspired by all three, which was great. They sort of created a new rule. And one of, one of the things we didn't really... Last year, if you remember, we had this project that was all about rules and creativity through constraint... And this year we felt like, well, we're just giving you a starting point and a time limit, and you can take it however you want to go. And what's interesting to me is a lot of people said this year was harder with fewer rules. So we really appreciate the discipline of having something to answer to, I guess. So we have to figure out what to do for next year. If anyone has any great ideas, please see us later. Okay, let's keep going. Um, The next one is called How to Be Heard, and... Nina Perry is here from the UK to represent that piece. And Nina also has a sort of musical background. She's a composer and um, works a little bit with the BBC making composed features, which I'm curious if you can talk about First Welcome. But what exactly is a composed feature?
9: Um, Well, that's a name that I made up (laughs) with. It sounds uh, so good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I I I started off as a composer and then went into doing radio production. And um, the ideas that I sell are are quite often on the basis that I am a composer. So I write the music and I make the feature and I interweave uh, both at the same time. Um, So yeah, sort of, uh, I I use uh, radio as a musical medium, I -hmm. think, um, in part. And did you find the time limit a problem? Because I don't know
1: if, how much do you work with in the short form very often, or how was that for you?
9: It actually, well, it's interesting you're saying about um, music. I, I found that three minutes is, you know, when you're writing music, you're often, uh, you know, three minute songs, three minutes is, you know, my ideal probably and, in mm-hmm. lots of ways. So, you know, there's a beginning, middle, middle and end mm-hmm. type uh, idea. So, yeah, no, I, it, it happened very, very quickly. I just.
1: Yeah. All right, well, let's hear it, and then we can talk some more.
10: Three things you need to make yourself heard. Good breath control, a good resonance, and speech clarity. Breath is the power in a voice. If you want to make a louder noise, you're going to use more breath than you would for everyday speaking. Um, If you want to get someone's attention who's a long way away, you're going to take a much bigger breath, thinking about somebody like a a soldier who's calling out instructions or something like that. Resonance is the space that we have for um, a voice to um, reverberate. And the only true space a human has for this is our mouth back of the nose, nasal cavities and the throat, that's it, those are the only spaces. Between our larynx and our mouth are a lot of muscles and we can move that space and change the shape of that space. So somebody who's got quite a tight little space in there might sound a bit like that. Somebody who pushes their voice up behind their nose might sound a bit more nasal or something like that. Somebody who um, makes a big space and uses a lower pitch might sound a little bit more fruity, you might say. If you're really trying to explain something to somebody, you might make your speech a lot more muscular. Quite often when people are asking for directions or talking to somebody who perhaps doesn't understand them clearly, they're going to be much more clear about the words they choose to use and also the way they use their lips, their tongue. They might just make sure that they're being absolutely crystal clear. If a bicycle bell wanted to be a foghorn, it would have to learn to choose how it began its sound. Basically, the beginning of sound begins with an in breath, begins with inspiration. So you breathe that thought in and you think, I'm going to send my sound away. I'm going to send my sound away. And then you use all the power of the muscles that you have and you send that sound as far as you can. I'm going to send my sound away, a good thing to do would be to practice, practice a lot, practice using your breath, practice being clear, practice what you want to say, and really believe in what you want to say, so you've really got some conviction and some commitment behind the message that you're sending, and have confidence, if you want somebody to get out of the way, you need to be really direct about how you ask them to do that, I think the, the main thing is that everybody has a right to be heard, how big or small their voice is, they deserve to be heard.
1: Do you want to um, quickly explain the photo that you sent along well, with it? It's just a
9: friend <laughs> shouting. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I found, found it quite hard to think of an image to go yeah. with the piece. Because um, I suppose it's not really about a bicycle bell, I suppose. Right.
1: <laughs> <So> <laughs> no, that's, that's what we hope for a little bit. You know, just that starting point to plant the idea and then... Yeah. It goes in whichever direction. A little bit like how she describes in the piece. You start with an inspiration, and it's like the intake of breath is the item, and then it, it, yeah. it goes from there.
9: I mean, I think so much. Actually, it just came to me when um, just hearing it, and I was thinking so much of it is is Rachel Nicholson, the person talking, is allowing her to be heard. You know, I I didn't tell her what to say or anything. Mm-hmm. I just said, it. can you explain to me? About voice, and then she just talked, and that, and then working with that afterwards, I think, um, I, I, you know, I don't feel I can take responsibility for her part in it, yeah. you know, it's, it's her. So, so, well done, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Does
1: anyone have questions for either David or Nina at this point? Yep. No. Okay, we'll keep going. Um, yeah. you? Oh, you can actually, there's a couple mics there, and these are recorded, so. I know. Yeah. All sure. right.
4: I think for the thing that I keep keeps going over and over in my head is the if a bicycle bell wanted to be a
0: a foghorn, did you ask her that?
9: Yes, I did. <laughs> Why? Uh, the reason I was I was thinking of thinking about it was um, I was thinking of the function of a. The bicycle bell and what was a bicycle bell for and it, it, it's extension of the voice in a way you're, you're saying look oh, out of the way you know here I am and um, I, I was thinking about well you know I've had experience when my bicycle bell hasn't been heard or I haven't been heard you know how do you make yourself heard and um, how which is very relevant to us really isn't it you know working in audio so it was and then I was thinking about it just sounds like what, what's the equivalent of a big bicycle bell. It, it's a foghorn to me, so I mean, imagine if you're going like at foghorn. <laughs> I actually somebody said to me about um, critical mass, yeah. that it was, you know it, you, know, the sense of you know, cyclists and being heard, and yeah) no. <laughs>
1: There's another dollar story. It was sent in very early about a Bicycle Messenger. And he, there's this great bit of it where he says, this is what a, a car horn sounds like from in a car. And it's like this muted, wah, wah. And he's like, and this is what it sounds like on a bike. And it's like, it's, it's, it's a really effective um, experience of understanding how powerful the car horn is. And then you, know, you, you just have the little bell, you're a little defenseless on your bike. So you can hear that on the website. Another question?
0: guy who did the first thing and also for David, first of all, how did you come up with the idea? Did you write something maybe for David first? Did you write out, think, well, I'm going to write this and then sort of figure out how you wanted to use sound with that? And the same for the gentleman who did the wacky phone calls. Did you think, you know, how did you approach the, both of these pieces? How, what was the genesis?
8: Um. Yeah, well, I wrote down a a basic script and um, recorded the voice, and then uh, sort of did the rest of the sound and layering on top of it, um, and fit the uh, background music with it. Is that answer?
3: And I'm the the wacky, the wacky guy. Um, (laughs) The only idea I had was that I didn't have any ideas. You know, like for months, I was like, I need something, and then. I was like, shit, I don't have anything, so let me just go with that. And then I ran into the studio at, at the radio station that I work at, and I'm like, I'm just gonna call people and, and ask them if they have any ideas, because I don't.
0: <laughs> and, and, and did you then listen to your tape and then decide you're gonna take little pieces of stuff and sort of do a, I, I, pardon me for using an old fashioned word, but collage, or how did, you know? What yeah, I,
3: I, I talked to like 10 or 15 people, and uh, I just liked the, the genesis of those three women, especially because I really bonded with the last one. And then the second one was like, what is this? And the first one, well, the first one didn't understand. The second one like tried to understand, but wasn't patient enough. And the third woman, she was just like watching TV. And I think she was just happy I called, you know? So
1: There is an arc. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's actually in a typical, a very structural, perfect way. There's an arc in that
2: one. I like how the first, the first piece in that I think the first question you ask is, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> it really does develop.
1: One
10: of the, oh, another question. Just a comment, uh, I actually go into dollar stores looking for mouse traps. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, here, you know, if you need a souvenir, we're going to send you home with it.
2: Yeah. Um, Look no further.
1: One thing that I think was remarkable about all four of these stories is how much, how you can say something really deep and profound in three minutes when it seems like this sort of joyous fun um, exercise, each of these gets to something kind of interesting and a little deeper, and I think leaves you with bigger thoughts than you think you might have, just from a little, like a a pop song of a radio story. So um, with that in mind, let's move on and hear the next one, which is called My Life as a Cup by Sean Hurley, who's down at the end, um, who is, was, sort of a new person to the Third Coast family, welcome, and Sean works on a podcast, but he hasn't been involved with much broadcast radio, and um, let's, is there anything you want to say before we hear it, or?
5: Uh, no, nothing to introduce. Okay, to.
1: let's get you talking a little bit. Um, I want you to hear, hear Sean say, so oh, what'd you, you have for breakfast this beforehand? morning? Okay, right.
5: well, what you're gonna hear is, um, uh, about a year ago, I, um, I'm a stay-at-home uh, daddy, and I have a, a one. Or he's two, two and a half years old now. But when he got to be about one, um, I, I found uh, that I was just getting really crazy. <laughs> just, I'd stopped writing for about four or five years, and because uh, I'd driven myself crazy with that, and I hadn't written for four or five years and it was really great. It was really peaceful and, and nice and then about a year into taking care of my son uh, I just, I started realizing I needed to do something for myself um, and I knew other women that were were similar. After about a year they were just like, oh my god this kid and I, I have to do something. And they take up something, you know knitting or painting <laughs> or something Um so I I didn't really know what I was going to do, I didn't think I was going to write um, but people had told me maybe I should think about uh, getting into radio somehow because of my voice And so I thought I'd become a voice actor and uh, I didn't know anything about it, I'd never done it before but I had some equipment because I, I do music too and the first thing that I, I realized is that I need to come up with a demo reel um, and so I listened to some demo reels and uh, you know, it's uh, people with really great voices doing lots of different voices. Cartoon voices, uh, movie trailer voices, you know, accents and things like that. So I just sat in front of my mic, you know, making funny cartoon noises, like a high-pitched guy and the British guy, and they're all terrible. And, um, and then I just started doing this, uh, this other voice. Um, Uh, which became the voice of this kind of alter-ego character that I've been using for the last year or so to do a a story and music podcast. Um, I don't know if I can even do it now. "Do it."
1: You can't do it on command?
5: Uh, Let me see (laughs) if I can do it here. It's the voice of um, um,
11: a much older man. His name is Sherwood Sleeves. He's 79 years old. He lives on top of Market Mountain, in Lemon, New Hampshire.
5: And w- when I started doing the voice, I actually was, uh, I like working improv, uh, and I was doing improv with these like cartoon voices and everything, because I c- couldn't write it and then perform it, that was too hard. Um, so when I started doing this one character, I actually just kept going, telling a story And I lost interest in in voice acting, and I was like, oh, I'll do this. I'm going to tell stories with this voice, and then I'll put some music in there. Well, I don't know why. So I just, uh, I wasn't even thinking about it. A day or so later, I had a 35-minute little thing that was stories with music in in there, and I, I was like, what do I do with this? So I got a website and put it up there. And actually, I don't even think I'm podcasting now, because I don't, it's just on my website. I don't know how to put it out there (laughs) on the pod.
1: I'm sure someone in this room can give Sean a hand later. So, well, let's go ahead and hear. This is um, a, a monologue, kind of. It's the triumphs and regrets of a cup, and it's called My Life as a Cup.
11: It is not well known, obviously, For how could it be but that things in stores do not wish to be purchased, do not wish to be brought home, cherished, put on display, or into some rotation of use? This stay-on-the-shelf preference is true of all products, but it is especially true of cups, and it is even more especially true of political cups. Cups which bear some pithy slogan or controversial message, I bring this up. Because I am such a political cup, and against my screaming antipathies, violent hollers into the creamy palm of the older, excellently good smelling woman who brought me down off the shelf, and even from the counter, bellowing out my rejections and repudiations to the cashier. Get your hands off me! All along, knowing that human beings are incapable of hearing Cuppy Cup, the badly named language of the cups. I must admit now that I am, that I have been, sadly, acquired. I am a proud cup, and happy in my cupship, but running dubiously and against the perfection of the volume of my reservoir is a rather fervid bit of feminist agitation propaganda urging women into unquaint and unsafe and revolutionary actions, which I do not, as a cup, condone if only i had a rag a curtain and some small bit of motor control i could cover the little saying over from time to time but to the point across my chest reads the newly minted call to arms well-behaved women rarely make history it is unfortunate that lost among the expressions of the cups is the ability to sigh scream yes wobble to no visible effect in the cupboard yes Laugh, moan, mutter, curse? Yes. Sigh? No. Well-behaved women rarely make history. What seems unfortunately more to the point, from my admittedly diminished and cup-like vantage, is that well-behaved men do make history, which perhaps strikes a little closer to the heart of the problem, and therefore might be a bit more conspicuous as far as any solution. If I had my druthers, I'd be set high upon a shelf at a messy and perennially troubled store, and that's what I'd have written across my chest. Well-behaved men make history, simple, flat, potent, and worrisome. Instead of proposing solutions, I would rather, more directly, regard the problem. And as the potential browsers passed me by, I'd be pleased to note their intake of my aphorism and humbled if they sighed.
2: Is, is that what you imagine he looks like? <laughs> in the photo? Yeah. That's him. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, if you I
1: move the to...
5: saying aside, that's, he's standing back there.
1: <laughs> Thank you for introducing some language into the Third Coast office space. We frequently refer to the badly named <laughs> language of cuppy cup. Yeah.
5: <laughs> That's <laughs> from my son, actually. That was one of the things he used to say all the time. He'd walk around going, cuppy, 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 ah, cuppy, cup. <laughs>
1: Draw from life to make our radio stars. Yeah. Um, so did anyone have any questions for Sean or S- Sherwin Sleeves? Yeah. Is it Sherwin or is it a, a sort of unique to the cup, Sherwin with the little...
5: No, it's the, the I mean, the alter, it's a weird, it's hard to, do it. <laughs> uh, Sherwin Sleeves is the alter ego character, but, you yeah, know, I don't know how to talk about it. Yeah, okay, we won't go there. Um, so, I
1: yeah. wonder about your writing process, like, was this one take, was, did you cut as David had to, did you have a, a lot longer story? How did Yeah, you...
5: mine was, um, I mean, I know how long, uh, for a three minute piece, how long I can write, and, yeah. you know, and I... I think my big problem with this is I didn't want to get rid of all the space. I mean I wanted actually, I wish it was, there was more space in yeah. between a lot of things. Um, but yeah, it was. I started off with five or six minutes and then yeah. just you know, chucked all my descriptions of different things going on everywhere. Yeah. They weren't important.
1: But every word seems very valuable in this because there's a whole lot of information and all these images, like a cup with a curtain going around the room and it, it seems to me very dense in imagery, and at the same time, there is some space. It might help
5: to, you know, overshoot it and then draw back yeah. and then insert silence. It's just the final step that I didn't do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but it's also very appropriate at three minutes. You know, it's like it seems like the perfect length for this kind of thing. So.
5: To me, it seems really long. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, any questions for sure? Any? Do the panelists up here, do you guys want to? Talk amongst ourselves. <laughs> put you on the spot a No? Nope. Okay. Oh. Uh,
5: it's uh, radioghost.com. And Radio Ghost. And uh, I put out a stories and music kind of podcast uh, just about Sherwin Sleeves and his life. And they're just kind of stories of discovery. <laughs> and uh... I'm actually preparing for a play right now, so the podcast, if that's what it is, is, is on hiatus, but there's plenty of stuff to listen to there, and some music, too. Great.
1: Um, okay, let's move on to the last dollar story. Um, Jeffrey Letterly is from Chicago, and he made a piece called Stiff Peaks, and it's my favorite opening to a radio story ever, so let's hear it, and then we'll talk about it. Sure.
4: Chocolate almond sugar cookies. Now flour, unsweetened cocoa powder, sugar, fruit, fruit and nut, oatmeal cookies, cookies and butter, eggs, butter, butter granulated sugar, brown sugar. Butter, sugar. Butter Another Sunday afternoon <sighs> spent sifting through cookie recipes, brown sugar crackles, raisin spice cookies, sugar, filled oatmeal date cookies, lemon thins, poppy seed, orange biscotti, pine nut cookies. I know I've made those before. Three egg whites, half-cup sugar, half-cup pine half 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 nuts, lemon zest. Like, In a mixing bowl, beat egg whites and salt ice. with an electric mixer at low, low speed. Raise the speed to high when the whites begin to form stiff peaks. Stiff peaks. I was driving through Colorado or Utah, and reading the signs for the mountain ranges. LaSalle Mountains, Mount Wilson, Wasatch Range, Cedar Mountains, Chauvinau Peak, Chauvinau Peak, Terrace Mountain, Pagoda Peak, Book, Cliffs, and then Stiff Peaks. From what I could see from the car window, very tall, rocky mountains, mostly covered with snow, a simple frosting made of powdered sugar, milk, butter, and a town stretched out in the valley below built upon a graham cracker crust, baked just 15 minutes at 350 degrees to make it strong enough to add houses, and a post office, and a church, and a grocery store, and a gas station at each end, and a hardware store, and a drug store, and a doctor's office, and a bakery in which I park my car in front of. I open the bakery door all of the beautiful pastries and breads and cakes and each one with a corresponding number to differentiate it from the others I'll have item number 96-80074 I bite into it through its semi crunchy silver coating to the spongy white cake inside where every space in the cake is filled with mountain air that I can feel on my face as I pedal harder to reach the summit. It's difficult, very difficult, but worth it. As I know, I'm almost, almost, almost at the summit. I see it ahead, and the mountain snow drifts across the path and bites into my aching calves, but tells me not to stop. And just then, I, I made it. I made it.
1: So, Jeffrey also comes from a musical background, he's a composer, and um, I wonder if you have some of the similar ideas about how it came together as Nina did, since you both kind of brought that. Or maybe not.
12: Maybe not. <laughs> um, there is some music in it, yeah. Um, I, I kind of also think of it as as a song, in a way. Um, but as far as musically, I, I, I think I, put it together as I would compose music, the way it overlaps and kind of refers to everything else all over the place.
1: And you, the bell is in there, but it takes a little while to understand how or why. So um, can you talk about bringing the two separate storylines together?
12: Sure. Um, actually, I think of the piece as exposing my inner life and within that inner life, my, my junk drawer. Because um, I like to take different concepts like a bell, like a cookie, like a bakery, like a number and find ways to integrate them so they all relate together. So the bicycle bell, a bicycle bell is round and the first thing I thought of, oh, that, kind of, that could be a cookie, a silver cookie. And then, of course, in the piece it doesn't really turn out to be a bicycle bell, but it's the chime or the bell that rings when you open a door to a small shop.
1: Right. <laughs> Indeed. And, and um, it took us many times of listening and actually playing this piece at our listening room in September to understand that the, the item number is the, the code at the bottom of the packaging. So the other charming thing about dollar store items, as Jonathan will attest, because he always reads every single word of the packaging out before anybody reads their story, is that they're bizarrely packaged often and you, it's not quite clear why there are mountains in the background when you imagine that bell like sitting on an old cruiser but um so jeffrey really used everything at his disposal to make the story come together do you want do you have any insights into the the, the strange language of, of dollar store item packaging
2: oh uh, it's it's wonderful <laughs> um yeah there's my my favorite one was this uh these insoles that you're supposed to put in your shoes that are are magnetized you know they're like reflexology that's sort of uh you know snake oil kind of remedy stuff and um and it was called it was called magnetize for some reason for no reason really i think they I accidentally put an e on the end and then uh and on the back it said uh this wreckage is made of uh recycled materials and wreckage has become one of my favorite words now um but it, there's been a lot of items that that have these misprints like there was one that that we really liked that was glue but they misspelled glue and it said ghoul on it g-u-l-e and uh and I don't think anybody's actually made anything out of that yet but um I think we're we're saving that one for a special special show
1: it is really oh Richard do you have a question I,
7: I don't know that's a question there's a there's a game that you play in improv where all of the performers line up and a story is told And you point to somebody and they start telling the story and you point to somebody else and the story takes off in another completely different direction. And that's what this struck me as. It was amazing how you sort of integrated an idea and then it became another idea and then it became another idea. And I always thought that the way that that happened, that it was the product of a number of minds all working separately. And so I'm sort of interested in in how you got to that within your one mind.
12: (laughs) I have four minds. Um, Actually, in creating the piece, like Julie said, I did look at the packaging, made an inventory of everything that was on there, and actually slept on it, and the next morning, it's like, ah, they all relate somehow. And that's that's really what I, I think in performance pieces that I do is try to do, take a certain number of elements and somehow combine them together so it it makes sense in some bizarre way so i don't know it's just it was how so seamlessly
7: done with just the just the twist of a word and then all of a sudden you're off in another direction exactly and right right
1: and there's also this sense of like this beautiful intricate production with the layering and your brain starting to realize okay what you're hearing and you're like it's cookie ingredients you know this so the contrast of the subject matter and the way it's delivered and it, it just it goes someplace very special. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, are there any other questions for any of the four? We're about out of time. Anyone? Well, we'll be around, so you can keep talking to these folks. Um, I also want to encourage you to think about participating next year, because we'll do another public audio project, and it ends up being you know very exciting to see what people come up with. Um, so I think without anybody else want to say anything? No, okay, thanks for, oh, one last.
8: How long did it take you to make the
1: pieces? Oh, that's a
9: good question. Nina, Helen? Thinking about it, I let, it was actually, I spent quite a long time thinking about it, just letting the ideas come together. But once I actually made the, had the idea, it took half an hour to do the recording, um, and then... Couple of hours doing the rest of it, so it didn't take. It didn't, it didn't. take long, but it was the idea that took the time.
8: I would agree. I, I think uh, uh, you know a lot of time was spent thinking about it. It's sort of hard to gauge. You know, the, that time you spend sort of walking down the street and stuff. Um, but the actual recording, uh, I I'd spent a couple of late nights before the deadline. So. Um, it's hard to say because
12: I think a lot of it was worked out in my head overnight, sleeping. Um, but I would say overall, probably about two hours.
5: I, I heard about the contest on the day before, so I just started working <laughs> on it right away without thinking about it. And it was about two hours, I just, I just wrote it and did it, and then my wife helped me uh, fix the ending so it didn't sound anti-feminist, which it was <laughs> not on purpose. It, two hours and ten minutes. <laughs>
2: That's funny, because whenever we do... We do I said the show every month for three years, and every month there's always at least one or two performers who email me the night before or the day before and said, oh, I don't have anything written yet, and they're freaking out. And so I just figured that with this, with the, all the production, that, yeah. that wouldn't be the case. So it makes me feel better knowing that you guys work this way, too.
1: Uh, the creative process has... Yeah, <laughs> between everything. the mediums, lots of similarities. I think it's interesting, because there were probably people who you know, maybe did this for the first time and, and spent several days trying to get it just right. But it also shows that you can do something like, pretty beautiful with not a lot of time. So um, I, hope, I hope you'll participate next year.